What's the goal of the FNF Coaches Podcast? We want you to learn something from the best coaches in high school football. We hope that you'll jot down some notes that will help you improve your program. Welcome back to the FNF Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. I'm excited to introduce today's guest, an up-and-coming star coach from Pebble Hills High School in El Paso, Texas. Mark Torres took over as head coach when the high school opened in 2016. He's quickly established one of the top programs in El Paso in just five seasons. Torres is meticulous and organized in his coaching style, and he has instilled a culture of discipline in his players. Listen to him talk about how he did it and share some secrets about starting a program from scratch. But before we get to the interview with Coach Torres, let's take 30 seconds to review the ways in which you can take advantage of more content from FNF Coaches. If you want to receive a notification on your phone every time we produce a podcast, subscribe to the FNF Coaches Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, or Google Play. Don't be afraid to give it a five-star review. To check out new content each and every day, visit FNFCoaches.com. If you want to receive the print magazine at your home or school, visit fnfcoaches.com and receive all five editions in 2021 for just $19.95. Without further ado, here's the interview with Coach Torres. Coach Torres, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Dan. Yeah, we uh, well, we know you as an up-and-coming coach from Texas, and we're really excited to talk to you about how you established a, a winning culture in your program. Now, you kind of had a different start to your head coaching career. Um, a lot of coaches talk about how, you know, they'll call on the program's history or previous successes motivation. Uh, you actually weren't able to do any of that because you started at Pebble Hills uh, at, in a new high school as the first head coach of the program. What appealed to you about that situation? Well, um, I think it it was a, a dream come true for me because I had always envisioned trying to create something from the ground up and, and trying to take all the things that I'd learned from my high school and college coaches and the, the guys that I had worked with over the years, kind of take the best from each of them and see what it would be like to create something from, from scratch. And uh, that was an opportunity out here in the, in the Socorro District. And before I decided to apply, what I did was I, I called around to the feeder schools, the middle schools, and I got a chance to talk to their athletic coordinators and find out what kind of kids were coming up, what kind of neighborhood it was, and uh, what kind of district it was to work in. And as I was going through that process, it, it just seemed to me it was very much like the neighborhood I grew up in. You know, I grew up in Northeast El Paso in the in the 80s and 90s, and Back then, Fort Bliss was expanding in that area of town. So a lot of my classmates, neighbors, friends were, were military kids coming in and out. And uh, it was just such a, a melting pot of cultures in our area. So I was really fortunate to have grown up in a situation like that. And more I looked into this position, it was almost like it was just shifting towards the east side of our town and county. And in this area in particular, which is why they needed to build another high school. So it was really refreshing and encouraging to me to, to take on uh, the opportunity. And um, what I did was, like I mentioned, you know, I took some of the good things that I remember from my high school experience and my coaches. Um, and then you know, I was a, a track and field athlete at UTEP 
And I took a lot of the philosophies and training stuff that we did there under Coach Kitchens and, and Mika in our program, which was very successful. And I started molding. I let that mold me as far as how I was with my work ethic and my approach to things. Uh, but then you start working with di different men and women when you get into coaching and, and these different philosophies and, and all the different ways that you connect with people and you take the best from each of them. And that's kind of what I did. So what we, what we started to do in establishing our culture was we hired good coaches. So I, I looked at some of the other successful programs from around town and around the state that were willing to come and work over here. So I was coming over from Franklin High School, and we had been the 6A champion out here in El Paso. Uh, our toughest opponent that year was Canadillo High School, who had gone to the Final Four in Class 5A that season. So I picked up one of my one of my coaches from Canadillo. Uh, another successful program was East Lake High School. I believe they went three rounds deep that year going into that season. And I, I, I hired one of, another one of my coordinators from there and brought over some help from Franklin High School and Andrus High School. And you just bring in all these different little philosophies. And I guess everybody just kind of fills a, a role. Um, the, the culture had to do, in my opinion, with discipline and work ethic. And when I came in, this was a ninth grade academy. And there was kids that competed for El Dorado High School that were freshmen here. And so there really was two different views and two very different cultures from the ninth grade academy versus the, the senior high school. So we tried to streamline it to the discipline and the structure that was here on this ninth grade campus, along with a, a very strong and team-oriented work ethic. And so that's, that's where it all kind of stemmed from. That's interesting. I want to go back to something you mentioned about rounding out a coaching staff, because I think the important word when you said that was the coaches were willing to, you know, you had to find coaches who were willing to come and start, you started with a freshman academy. So these, you had mentioned, you know, these are coaches who are making deep uh, state tournament runs in the, in the playoffs. And next thing you know, you're trying to convince them, Hey, we're, we're only going to have a freshman team next school year but this is a long-term thing. Did you find that difficult to convince them to join your staff? Oh, yeah. You know, I had a couple of people turn me down. Matter of fact, uh, both coordinator spots. You know, I had uh, one of the guys, my, my right-hand guy, when I was at Franklin, he, uh, he, I asked him to come over and be the offensive coordinator. Well, he, he ended up staying put and just kind of filling my shoes, and now he's the head coach at Chapin High School out here in El Paso. And then um, I did look at one of the competitors we had in one six A out here for the defense coordinator spot, and and he turned it down. And then another guy who was at a, a championship program, he turned it down. And so uh, I just started. I figured I was going to groom some coordinators, and and we were all going to kind of grow together. But there was a, some hesitancy from from people to to come and jump into the situation we were in, and. And uh, a lot of that had to do with, you know, the rumor mill and things like that and the unexpected, you know, growth of our, of our program. You know, there were people that were on the one side of these guys are going to have everything. It's going to be the greatest program around as were other people that, you know, probably the people who didn't get the job were, were bad mouthing the, the, the school and all those things to not let it develop into what it's going to become here pretty soon. So yeah, you, you had to do, do some convincing for sure. Everybody wants to have a disciplined program and everybody wants to be organized. 
but it seems like you get into the flow of the season and these games are coming at you fast and furious and you have injuries and you're plugging guys in and, uh, you know, guys are jumping off sides or getting penalties and, and all of a sudden you're not a disciplined team anymore. What are the first things you do when you say, hey, I want to have a meticulous, uh, disciplined team with a very good work ethic? How does that show up from day one? Well, it, uh, I'm glad you asked that. You know, I, I actually use that in my interview. You know, they asked me about discipline, and I, I worked for a principal one time, and we had this discussion. Uh, you know, discipline comes from the word disciple, which means to follow. And so if you're going to be the leader of a program that, that is filled with a bunch of kids who are very, very impressionable, I think the best thing that you can do is set the example for them. And when I interviewed for this position, I had already mapped out a 365-day plan you know, I pulled the, the school calendar from the Socorro District, and I mapped out every single day from the following morning in which I interviewed all the way through the very first game of the following season. And so you have to have a plan, and then you have to have a backup plan, and you have to have an emergency plan, and you have to have a disaster plan for every kind of situation. And um, I, I think that that's what you deal with. You know, you, you have one plan, and then you have to have some kind of an answer. You can't just draw something up in the dirt. I mean, you have to have a plan for if everything's going smoothly, then you have to have a plan for if the weather's bad. Yeah, just, it's not, no different than practice, but you, you have to have those things kind of set up to where everybody understands that if, it's, if there's lightning, that doesn't mean practice is over. That means we're going into the gym and we're going to do some kind of walkthrough. Um, you know, we, we had a situation where we had a, a gas line leak and they evacuated the campus. Well, that doesn't mean that the day is over. That just means that we're meeting in another capacity, um, which, you know, being running this program the way we have, it, it did help us in the COVID situation. Uh, what hurt us was, you know, certain, certain people decided that they, it was not worth the risk for them to participate. And, and we had several returning starters decide that that was the case for them. And it was a struggle. Um, we missed out on a lot of games this year, which, which was not fun, but we did have a chance to develop our, our young kids who are hungry and came to practice. And so we've set ourselves up pretty good for the next few years. That's interesting. You hear about NFL coaches interviewing for positions and, you know, they'll for head coaching positions and you'll hear, you know, they'll, they'll interview 10 candidates. And so many times the person who gets the job is the one who comes in and they have that plan, you know, 365 days a year, this is when we're going to rest our veterans. This is when we're going to do some team camaraderie building. This is when we're going to uh, give the young guys a, a boost and, and try to get them uh, to be part of the team. And it's, it's important to have those um, that mapped out. When did you map that out? Was it, you know, obviously you were a coordinator before you were a head coach and assistant coach for a little while. Were you constantly kind of building a, a calendar of what you wanted to do it, once you became a head coach? Oh, no, no question. Um, one of the big advantages I had was uh, when I got into a, officially being a coach, an assistant coach, I volunteered for a couple of years while I was still in, in college track. And um, so I was used to schedules. And, and that's where the influence from my college coaches comes in. I mean, everything was done in phases. You know, you had a a preseason phase, a conditioning phase, a, an indoor season phase, a competition season phase, and a postseason phase. 
So I got used to getting all these calendars and all of these schedules, you know, throughout my four years of, of track. And I carried that over into what I was doing because it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily done on paper when I started coaching and our, uh, our head coach put me in, in charge of the off season program right away. And all I did was take that philosophy and shift it over and, and mold it into to a high school schedule based on what we had. And so that experience alone right there helped me just kind of, it helped me determine at least from a numbers standpoint, strength conditioning, um, how I was going to map out a season and get us to the school year. And then uh, as I became a, a coordinator or started to want to become a coordinator, you start learning how to phase in your installs when it comes to spring football. Uh, then in the summer, what are you going to do? What are you going to do in the pre-district season? How are you going to adjust in the regular season? You know, you, you have to study all of those things. And so you're constantly, or you should be, if, if you have any interest of uh, in moving up in our profession, you should be constantly evaluating yourself and reevaluating and questioning the things that you did. Because um, it, just, it just helps you gain experience and it helps you come up with all these other plans that like I was talking about earlier. But, uh, you know, I got really into creating those things and understanding how to, how to time it. Because as the years go on, you start seeing that you've got kids that are in track season, wrestling season, baseball season. And you, you also have to factor those things in with, with your off season. You just get used to doing things uh, based on other people's schedules as well. And uh, one thing that comes up is, you know, families want to know, three, four months in advance when, when you're going to give them, what are the most important weeks for your summer program? And that's what we're dealing with this week. You know, coach, when are you giving the guys a week off this summer? If so, what is, what's the best time for us to plan our family vacation? So um, it, it comes in handy for sure. And you just, you get more and more experienced with it. That, that I can tell. I was a college athlete as well. And I found, Similar to, you know, what you're saying with the track and not only for, you know, scheduling vacations or, you know, figuring out how to plan your year. It was also if you knew, you know, a Saturday practice was going to be one of the more difficult practices of the year where you're just really going to kind of challenge yourself to a level that you don't always do in practice. You might look at that Friday night and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go out and go out until even if you're, you know, taking it easy. I'm not going to go out until 11 o'clock before a 6 a.m. practice on a Saturday because we're going to get it's going to be a really hard practice for four hours. And I don't want to, um, you know, suffer through that just because I went out too late on Friday night or, hey, I might eat a little healthier at lunch the day before. So I think it's it helps you plan as an athlete when you know what's coming and you see that calendar and, you know, how things are going. A lot of the way that you model your strength and conditioning program is after things that you did as an athlete in college. What is your philosophy on strength and conditioning? Once we, we, we call this our phase one. And so what we're looking at is our, our general physical preparedness. And we do uh, a lot of the core lifts, a lot of compound lifts, a lot of teaching um, and over teaching of things, you know, we, we stress things like uh, the proper, you know, all the basics, you know, how do you hold a bar? How do you position your feet? How, how low do you go? What should it feel like? Uh, so it's very general. It's not geared towards specific, like a, like a competition phase would be or anything. And we do a, a, a very basic progressive overload in phase one, where you just kind of 
up the weight, lower the reps as, as time goes on. Um, after that, we'll move, when we move into phase two, all of our kids have been evaluated and they've been given an opportunity to see where they're at in our core lifts. And we'll, we put together um, this, we call it a Spartan made shirt. And what it has, a t-shirt that has it mapped out. So we test on four lifts, bench press, squat, power clean, and deadlift. And we do those conventional lifts throughout the week, every week. Um, and we will write their one rep max right underneath that, whatever lift it is. And so once we get into phase two, what I've learned over the years is that not, obviously not everybody is the same. And just because we program something to be in progressive overload, that doesn't mean that each and every one of these kids is going to be at their max effort when we expect it to be testing week. You know, that's one thing you learn the hard way. Uh, so anytime we are in phase two and we go, for example, and, and we're power cleaning that day, you know, we might say we're going to be working at the 70 to 75% range. Well, if a kid decides that he feels good and he can, he can do, you know, he can outdo his old max. If he can do it right there on the spot, well, then we just adjust his max accordingly. We cross over, we cross out that, that number that's underneath his power clean max and we add the new one. And so the idea being that, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna get a new, a new PR when your body is physically ready to do that. And we've gotten a big, big positive response from our kids by having that motivation right there on their chest. So everything on the front of their shirt is all the positives. It's new maxes. It's, it's a warrior check mark, which means they had like an awesome day. And then everything on the back of their shirt is a negative. So if they skip the workout, we put a tally that they were absent. <laughs> if they, if they're a non-participant, meaning that, you know, the trainer didn't tell them that they couldn't lift. Uh, they're not sick. They showed up. They just weren't prepared to go through the workout. They get a non-participant or they could get a loaf, meaning that, you know, they're either not spotting as well as they could. They're not encouraging their teammate or they're just not, they're just kind of there. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So what we encourage our kids is the motivating factor in phase two and three and four is that you're going to continue to make the front of your shirt look as ugly as possible because that's kind of your badge of honor. And then the back of your shirt, that's the stuff that should embarrass you. That's just, you know, we put on the back of the shirt because we tell them that's the stuff you don't want anybody to see. You know, you're absent, you're not working hard, you're, you're choosing a way out. Um, and we've found that our, our numbers go up big time when the kids know they have a chance to improve every single day. And, um, so that way they don't target, you know, hey, I know this is an important, Wednesday is an important day or Friday is an important day. You know, they have a chance to to compete with themselves every single day they show up for a work. I think that's great that you're you're flexible with it and, you know, willing to let these guys try to PR, you know, even if it's after they get out of that phase one, because high school is such a, a growth phase. You know, you might get a freshman who has never been in the weight room before. So, you know, in that phase one, you know, they're still growing and then they get into phase two and next thing you know, they're like, Hey, I want to PR today. And I think that's good, you know, and it creates energy in the weight room when guys are, you know, PRing and getting excited about what they're doing. Cause everybody else is getting excited because it makes a team better. So I think that's smart that you do that. Uh, what, what type of, what time of year do you typically make that transition into phase two? We'll be starting that when we get back from spring break. So next week we're off, we're, we're at spring break. 
Uh-huh. And when we come back, when we come back in a couple of weeks, I guess in about 10 days, we, we come back. That'll be phase two. And phase two takes us all the way through the end of the school year and uh, through spring football. And it's actually a longer cycle this, this year. It's actually 10 weeks. Yeah, it's 10 weeks. We'll start on uh, March 29th. And then it ends June 4th. So it is it is a long cycle. But we have spring ball mixed in there. And then we'll trim down as, as the uh, as the phase goes on from five days a week doing something physical to three days a week doing something in the weight room. And once we get right at five weeks, we'll be a Monday, Wednesday, Friday lifting team. Uh, rather than Monday through Friday. So that that's when that changes. And then phase three is our summer and that's a six week cycle. And then phase four is the entire is the duration of our regular season. Which is more about maintenance and, you know, just kind of um making sure the guys are not losing anything in season, but also, you know, staying fresh and you're not trying to overwork them in season. Is that what is that what the in season phase is all about? You know what? We we used to take that approach, but the more I'm learning now, uh, and we we got this last year during um, our powerlifting. Powerlifting we do kind of within our city. It's not like we do at the state level, but um, what we found in powerlifting last year was that if we put them through a workout, a hard workout on the during the athletic period on the day of powerlifting that they performed so much better at the meet that night than we had in years past. Wow. And so we started taking that approach and I, and I, you know, there's several people we reach out to in the, in the state as far as high school goes, you know, some of us guys that, that know college coaches, we, we reach out to them. And what we found is that, you know, if you get in a game day lift, I don't know what it, I guess it does something to your central nervous system specifically. I couldn't tell you the science behind it, but when you go to perform on that same day, you just see, you see and feel a difference. And so we're not in the maintenance mode when we get to the phase four, What it, it's more like uh, you're trying to perfect the things you've been working on for almost a year. And, and our kids understand where their body's at and how to stay fresh, but we're still trying to get stronger. We, we really are. We're still trying to get stronger. And a lot of that has to do with when, when we're at that point in the year, you know, their mobility should be very high. Their conditioning should be very high. And, and that in and of itself will, will make them a better lifter in the weight room. So um, we're, we're, we're a couple years beyond that maintenance phase when it comes to in season. You know, as I'm, as I'm hearing you say that, that sounds right. You know, that you're, you don't really get sore until the next day or even two days later. And sometimes you, you do a hard lift and that day you feel great coming out of the weight room. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to take on a blocker. You know, that, that does make sense that game day is a good day to kind of get that, the nervous system going and lift hard, play hard, that type of thing. That, that does make sense. Although, like you said, not a lot of teams probably subscribe to that philosophy. Um, one of the other things that, it seems to be a priority for coaches at this time of year is developing leadership, developing team chemistry and camaraderie. And I know that it's a little bit more difficult now with the COVID situation and, you know, restrictions on gathering in large groups or, you know, spacing it out. What are you doing uh, at this time of year to develop leaders? Yeah. um, 
I think that that's something that we've, we've always done since we've been here. Um, we, we value the kids input. Uh, we value their opinions. Uh, I think it's really important to make them and their parents understand that, you know, we do what we do for them and in no way are we, um, trying to, to devalue the player in, in any way. We're trying to give them and empower them with confidence. And the way to do that is, is to practice those things. Um, we talk to our guys a lot about character. We, we subscribe to a, a program called Character Matters, and, and Wade Salem runs it out of Arizona. He comes to visit our program two or three times a year. And it's, it's a weekly program, and the lessons are laid out for us. And it, it's just so funny how, you know, it's, it's kind of thrown out there random. He comes up with a theme for a year. And it's just, it's so funny how every week you get a word and, and the theme, it's, it's like hitting the nail right on the head. Like, we really needed this word today hmm. or, or for this week. And the lesson just, it just seems to fit with us. Um, I'm glad you brought up leadership because we, we have what we call leadership council in our program. And the way you get selected to the leadership council is you've got, a, you've got to write a letter of interest to the coaching staff. And it, it cannot be handwritten. It must be typed. It must be printed. It must be signed. And we give them a deadline, just like any job application. And it's your job to tell us why you believe that you'd be a strong candidate for leadership council. And so we just went through these letters yesterday, as a matter of fact. And um, that right there is, is helping give them an opportunity. So we're not handpicking the leaders on our team. You know, it, it's guys who are, are, who are willing to step up and get out of their comfort zone. And a part of that is, you know, I have to write a letter. You know, I don't have to text my coach. I don't have to just go talk to my coach. I mean, I have to physically do something that adults have to do. I have to write a letter of interest and express why I believe this is beneficial to me and beneficial to our program that I'm a member of leadership council. Um, and once we, we decide who the guys are, which, by the way, that they have to get 100% approval by the coaching staff in order to earn a spot. They have to maintain academic eligibility at all times. Even on progress reports, if they lose that eligibility, they're not a leadership council. And so it's just it's things by, again, expressing to them that leadership comes by example. It doesn't it doesn't come with a title. You know, just because I'm the head coach, that doesn't mean that I'm a good leader. You know, so you you have to practice what you preach, and you have to be committed, and you have to be dedicated. You have to be organized. And you have to set a good example for everybody around you. And, that, and it's good for us to work with our kids in that way because I can tell you, you know, over the past couple of years, I, I really struggled. And I can point out two or three situations over the last three, maybe four years where, you know, I failed. I failed miserably in, from a leadership standpoint for our program. And, you know, just just because you're a good leader one day, that doesn't mean you're going to be a good leader the next day. So it's just a constant reminder that leadership is just, it's ongoing and you got to do everything you can every single day at all times to remind yourself, you know, what are the things I need to do to be the best I can be in this position every single day? And it's, it's hard, you know, being a leader is, 
is very hard and you can't take it for granted. And I think being able to talk to our players about that lets them know you're a little bit human and that it's okay. A lot of times they just, they don't want to be leaders because they're afraid of the, they're going to be judged. You know, they're going to be judged by their peers and they may not have the confidence to do it, but they soon start figuring out that leaders all over the world are just normal people. And uh, they're just willing to, to sacrifice some of the things that others aren't because you have to step out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I commend you for uh, admitting to to having failures in your leadership skills because I was interviewing a coach, I think it was Steve Specht, um, who is in, let me think about this, he's in Cincinnati, and he, uh, you know, probably five or six state championships to to his record in the last like 15 years, and he was saying the same thing, like, as a leader, one of the most important things you can do is admit to failure because you stand up in front of your team and you say, hey... Um, I made a mistake this game. I'm asking you to do the same thing when you maybe not let the team down, but fall short of expectations or, or make a mistake. I'm asking you to be honest in your assessment of yourself. And if I can do that as a leader in front of this entire team and, and you don't lose respect of the players, they, they look at you and they say, Hey, I can do that too. I can say, Hey, I was wrong on this coverage. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't read this correctly. And this is why they beat us deep and, and I'm going to get better the next play because I admitted it that I did that wrong that time. Are you comfortable uh, sharing where you fell short with your leadership skills? And if not, no big deal. We can move on. Yeah, no, uh, um, you know, I can recall it. We, we had a really great season a couple of years ago and there was something that happened. It was, it was a, you know, what I felt was a bogus penalty against our team. And, at that time, what I did was I, I got after the official about the call. And what I did was I brought our players together and, and I let them know, hey, you know, I'm on your side. I was expressing to them that no matter what, I'm on your side. And it worked. And, and we played amazing the rest of that season. Well, about half a year later, almost in the same situation, um, I got on my players about a penalty and it wasn't until a few weeks later, I saw that, you know, man, I, I handled that situation wrong. Um, no matter what you, I always got to be on my player's side, at least in, at the time right there of the competition. Right. Yeah. So I can tell you, I failed in that aspect. I had another, another situation where, I had a coach put in a, in, in a situation where he was, he was suspended for, you know, whatever teaching situation. And I handled that so poorly. You know, I, I didn't handle it in dealing with him as a, a colleague and dealing with him as a friend and dealing with him as a mentor. You know, I took a, a business approach to it rather than a human approach to it. And that, you know, and that, and that kind of destroyed our momentum for the season. So I've learned from that, you know, and it was something, it was something totally generic. It's just out of nowhere and unfounded and unfounded uh, accusation. And I handled it poorly and, and we suffer as a program because of it. Um, and another situation was, you know, this year and dealing with COVID, you know, how are we, how are we going to practice? And I, I mean, I can't say that it was a failure on our part, Um but I, I do think we overdid it. We almost, we almost practiced 
too much. You know, we lost games. And instead of me, you know, looking back and saying, okay, we don't have a game for about a month here. <laughs> you know, how can I tailor this and get a, a, a better kind of flow to where our, I'm, I'm really looking out for our kids and helping them recover and have fun and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, I went old school, I guess you could say. And I think I burnt our coaches and our on our players out. You know, they were sacrificing all this time knowing that a game had been canceled. And, um, you know, I really just kind of put our program's feet to the fire instead of handling it in a maybe a smarter way. So if COVID continues for us, I do know that my approach to this upcoming season will be will be much different than it was this past year. Now, I, as I said, I, I was reading a story where you were named uh, one of the top 10 up-and-coming uh, coaches in Texas, which, as you know, is, is, is probably the biggest state in the nation in terms of um, competitiveness at the high school football level. So I read that, and I was like, you know, maybe he's a, co- a future college coach or, you know, he's, he's on the rise here. But that, that also, with that, I guess, with an up-and-coming uh, label, it means that you're a young guy and, and probably not as experienced as some of the uh, coaches that were racking up, you know, career, uh, 300, 400 career wins at, at the high school level. Do you seek out mentorship from any other coaches or visit college campuses or do anything? It sounds like your high school coach and your college coach, you've taken a lot from, do you, do you try to find ways to find mentors now that you're a head coach? It, all, all the time, all the time. I mean, I, I find myself being more of a student now as a head coach than I was even as an assistant coach or a coordinator uh, because, you you know, you had a head coach to look to and you, you had somebody that you ultimately answered to at the end of the day. You know, but when you're running your own program, um, there are guys I look to. You know, I my brother is, is a head coach. He's in, in Marlin, Texas, and uh, I, I talk to him all the time. Uh, I reach out to my, my head coach is, is still around. He's well, he doesn't live around here anymore. Uh, he's getting way up there in age, but I, I talk to him probably four or five times a year and talk about experiences. Uh, our athletic director, I talk to him routinely. Um, and then some of the bigger guys around the state, you know, I talk to James Brown out of Mansfield Timberview all the time. And he's an El Paso guy that, that moved up and moved on. And he's got an outstanding 5A program in Texas. I mean, they're one of the top 10 teams in the state. So I talk to him all the time. And then in 6A, I talk to Gary Joseph routinely. He's the head coach at Katy. I mean, I don't know how many state titles he's got. They won it again this year. Um, and he's also the one of the – he's been the president of the uh, Texas High School Coaches Association. And – you know, those are, I mean, those are guys you got to go to. I mean, you talk to them about your, your experiences in your town and developing a program. And what's refreshing is, you know, you start finding out that you're on the right path and, and you're, you're heading in the right direction. And, you know, as long as your administration is supportive of you, then you kind of have a chance. And, and that's all I want, you know, for our kids, I just want our kids and our coaches to have a chance to be successful. And, um, Luckily, you know, in our profession that there's a lot of people that are really, you know, more than willing to help you in that regard. As far as visiting colleges, um, the last one we did was in in 19. We actually got out to Alabama for Coach Saban's um, his his clinic. And that, that was that was amazing. You know, 
very well run, obviously very well organized. And uh, what, what you find is that there's so much investment in the player. You know, it's, it's not about the coach. It's not about the scheme. You know, these guys, these guys that are very, very successful, their, their universities are financially helping them invest in the player and player development. And they, they invest a ton in like what you're talking about, strength and conditioning, character development, leadership development, and then having a plan. I mean, at Alabama, the way he explained it is, I mean, he's preparing his players for, you know, all the way through retirement, you know, having them have a plan for a plan for a plan. And I think it's taking that, taking the interest in each individual player and person that helps you grow. I, I think that's one of these connections that is undervalued, or at least on the on from the outside looking in, maybe the common person wouldn't realize just how much investment each of these coaches and these programs make in the individual player. I think that's huge, and that's what I've gotten a lot out of from these, you know, experienced and successful coaches. That's awesome that you've had a chance to learn under um, as many of those prolific coaches, as you said, including Coach Saban. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you, and it sounds like you're totally dialed in where you are and, um, you know, have a plan and it was disrupted a little bit by COVID, but you're confident that you're going to be able to get to where you want to be. Have you ever thought about uh, long-term coaching at the college level or the NFL level? Well, I don't know that, that those things would be for me. You know, my, my dream and my ultimate professional goal was to be what I'm doing right now. And I was very fortunate to, to climb the ladder pretty quickly. I was, you know, I got this position when I was 33 years old and I have a young family. I mean, I have a, a wide range. I have five kids, my wife and I, and our oldest is 20 and our youngest is 18 months. So, I mean, there's a wide gap there and, and all in between. And I do take that into consideration a lot. You know, my wife's profession, she's a school counselor. Um, my son, my oldest son, he's a freshman in high school. He plays for us. So there's those kind of investments that I think are important. I, I haven't, into you know, personal level, I haven't achieved all the goals that I have set out for myself in this position. Uh, we're very close to, to achieving all of the team goals that we have for our program. I think we're like one goal short in our first five years. Uh, and then, of course, there's another five-year goal period for us. So we're trying to chip away at those things. Um, but I don't know that I would what I would be a good college coach. I mean, do I do I know football? I feel strong that I do know football. Do I want to go and recruit? I don't think I do. I don't think I want to go recruit kids. I think that's one of the things I just can't stand about high school in a lot of ways. There, there are people out there recruiting and there are street agents out there shopping kids around and it just bothers the hell out of me because I view prep sports. Like you grew up in this neighborhood, you should commit yourself to this community and you should have, it should be a badge of honor to compete against another community. And, uh, you know, I, so that, that's, that's one of the things I have a real hard time with in this position is, you know, you, you live by my school, you're supposed to come here or you don't live by my school. You should go somewhere else. Oh, you're talking, uh, recruiting at, at the high school level, not, not college coaches trying to yeah. recruit. 
Oh, I got no, you. No, 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 no. As far as, you know, college coaches, I mean, you got to fly around the country and you got it. You're at the mercy of, does your university have enough money to let you recruit? Right. Uh, you're judged on what kind of recruits you bring in, not necessarily your football knowledge. And that's, that's the way, that's what I'm seeing right now. Is, mm-hmm. is, uh, you're at, you're at the mercy of whichever university hires you and how much they're willing to invest. I mean, if you have a blank checkbook, you're going to get the best players and you're going to get the best facilities and you're going to get the best of everything and have a chance. If you're not, man, it, I almost feel like some of these guys are beating their head against the wall. And uh, I don't know if I could do that, you know, but in, in high school, I love the fact that whoever walks through my door, that's who I get to coach. Yep. You know, and I think there's, for me, there's a personal pride in that. You know, what can, what can I do to help this guy or gal be 100% of what they are? And I love that challenge. That's awesome. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned earlier that I want to go back to um, is a couple of guys decided to opt out on the season uh, because of COVID. And I think COVID has been a, a challenge for everyone. I think people are uh, have struggled in the last year with mental health, some more than others. And are there things that you've done in the last year to prioritize um, mental health or mental performance of players who, you know, you said you got some games canceled when you're getting things taken off the plate and you ha- everybody has goals. And when those things uh, are not so set in stone anymore because you don't know what the future holds, is there anything you can do to help guys through that those situations, especially at the high school level? Well, I, I think it's just making ourselves available to the players. You know, we – we try to send some kind of reminder to our kids every single day. And uh, we, you know, our, our, uh, our state really promotes the, a sport. It's called Sports U. It's an app that we use to communicate with our parents and our players. And, you know, every single day I send some kind of reminder after the workout to tell kind of everybody what the tone was or something that may have stood out that day. And then before I go to bed, I usually send something about the next day, about what's going to happen. So I think when it comes to dealing with, you know, our mentality or trying to help people through this, I think it's making yourself available and communicating, doing everything you can to communicate. Let let everybody know that you're here. And I, and I think that's a comforting feeling for a lot of people to begin with. So. We just try to do that, try to make ourselves available to everybody. Yeah, that's great. And also kind of goes along with your theme of setting expectations through, you know, giving them the 365-day-a-year calendar and then, you know, reminding them the night before, hey, this is what the goal is tomorrow. That's awesome. Um, a couple, uh, just a couple of quick questions, and then I'll let you get going. Are there any um, new tech products uh, that you're using that have helped your program of either, you know, communication in the weight room, headsets, uh, film, video, anything like that? Well, a couple of years ago, we had one of our coaches, he was an assistant coach here. He developed what's called a game plan cam. And it was, uh, you know, you hook up your cell phone and then he, he came up with this kind of, uh, I don't even know. Anyway, it's like a pole that you like a long camera pole that you can walk around on the field. And uh, that's what we would use to record practices, you know, drills. So we use game plan cam and we just upload all of that to huddle. Huddle is uh, what we use for our film. And uh, we share everything electronically in that way. I did mention sports you. Yeah. 
Uh, we, we do that, you know, regularly. Um, we just signed on with a, a company called Signing Day Sports, and they're getting ready to set me up with their app, and that's a recruiting tool to help our kids, uh, you know, upload film, upload <clears throat> information, and then what happens is they have colleges and universities buy into their program so that they can view every athlete that signed up through them. And so that's something that we're, we're going to be very new to this year, and we should be getting started here in the next couple of weeks. Um, so I, I don't know. We're going to try that and see if that does anything for our kids. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing right now. You have to kind of look out for your kids in terms of recruiting because it's been a weird year. And, um, you know, NCAA granted another year of eligibility to guys. So it's uh, there's not a lot of spots, fewer offers going out this year. So anything you can do to help in that respect, I think, is helpful. What is, I should ask you, what is the last goal of the five-year goal that you have to achieve? Uh, well, we want to win championships. And so in our, in our, let's see, in three of our first five years, we've gone into November with a chance to win a championship. And we've just come up short. Um, but some of the goals were, uh, you know, making the playoffs. We did that in year one. And then it was earning a team of the year goals. We did that. Coach of the year goals. We did that. Um, we got to play on through Thanksgiving week. We got to play in December. Uh, but, you know, bringing home some hardware, that's, that's kind of the last, uh, big goal here for the first stretch is to, to actually get over the hump and, uh, I mean, we're three points shy one year and then three points shy the next year. Just, you know, things like that. Uh, just got to get over the hump and start and start bringing home some hardware. There you go. I wish you luck in that pursuit. And uh, thank you so much. I think this will be a helpful interview for so many coaches to listen to. So thank you so much and uh, enjoy your off season. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks to Coach Torres for joining the podcast and sharing his experience of starting a program from scratch. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Mark Torres. That's at Coach M-A-R-K-T-O-R-R-E-S. Don't forget to give the pod a five-star review on your preferred platform. The FNF Coaches Podcast is an AE Engine production.
Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.